eternal, righteous, and invisible Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. We look forward to the day when our Lord Jesus will return to this earth. And in preparation for that, Lord, we ask that you fellowship with us in the person of your Holy Spirit, that these words we will hear in our devotion shall be words to build us up into the most holy faith. Grant us of your Spirit and grant us understanding and wisdom in your word. Lord, we need power. Without power, we cannot put into practice all that we learn. Please, Lord, grant us the grace to overcome our cultivated and inherited tendencies so that we can have the character of Christ. Put your words in my mouth, O Lord. Consecrate me to your service. Help me, Lord, to speak blessings to your, to your children that we all may grow up into Christ. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, October 9. Unity in Diversity. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. In these first disciples was presented a marked diversity. They were to be the world's teachers and they represented widely varied types of character. There were Levi Matthew the publican, called from a life of business activity and subservience to Rome, the zealot Simon, the uncompromising foe of the imperial authority, the impulsive, self-sufficient, warm-hearted Peter, with Andrew his brother, Judas the Judean, polished capable and mean-spirited, Philip and Thomas, faithful and earnest, yet slow of heart to believe, James the less, and Jude, of less prominence among the brethren, but men of force, positive both in their faults and in their virtues, Nathaniel, a child in sincerity and trust, and the ambitious, loving-hearted sons of Zebedee. Of the twelve disciples, four were to act a leading part, each in a distinct line. In preparation for this, Christ taught them, foreseeing all. James, destined to swift coming death by the sword. John, the longest of the brethren to follow his master in labor and persecution. Peter, the pioneer in breaking through the barriers of ages and teaching the hidden world and Judas in service capable of preeminence above his brethren, yet brooding in his soul purposes of whose ripening he little dreamed. In order successfully to carry forward the work to which they had been called, these disciples, differing so widely in natural characteristics, in training and in habits of life, needed to come into unity of feeling, thought, and action. This unity it was Christ's object to secure. 
the burden of his labor for them is expressed in his prayer to the Father, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. John 17 verse 21 In the apostles of our Lord, there was nothing to bring glory to themselves. It was evident that the success of their labors was due only to God. The lives of these men, the characters they developed, and the mighty work that God wrought through them are a testimony to what He will do for all who are teachable and obedient. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Unity in Diversity. When Jesus had been had begun his ministry, he began by selecting some disciples and he had a plan. He was going to get some people who are preachers, apostles, that will be his understudy, that will do the work after he is gone and his ministries on this earth comes to an end. The book of Matthew 4 verse 23 tells us something. It says, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Amen. So what was Jesus doing? Teaching in the synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases and doing miracles. Now, you can only imagine the kind of popularity that Jesus had. Verse 24 now says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, not Judah now. His fame went throughout, not some, but all Syria. If you know the map of the Syrian kingdom at the time, it was not just one small country. It was a large region. And it says his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Now, what do you think would be the result of this? Verse 25. And there followed with followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Wow! The fame of Jesus was no small thing. Great multitudes it says and you cannot count them of course. There were a lot of people. I just want to diverge a bit. Do you understand now why the Pharisees and the high priests like Annas and Caiaphas must have really been offended with Jesus? I mean, he was taking their shine, like they would say. He had far greater influence than they did. I mean, when these multitudes were following Jesus, what happened to the synagogues? Of course, some of them were empty. Because the synagogues were not offering the teaching that Jesus was giving. It was not just about the miracles. It was about Jesus' teaching and preaching that they were coming around him. Do you remember how they stayed three days? He was not doing any miracle. He was teaching for three days and they stayed with him. The people loved the truth that they were hearing from Jesus. It was not just about the miracles, although they were those who were bread and fish Christians, of course. Now, in among these great multitudes, Jesus had to select those who would be his disciples. The time came for him to do that and he was to bring to a greater nearness to himself these twelve, those to whom he will commit the keeping of the church to that after his departure. Before this time, Seven of them had already been handpicked by Jesus himself, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, James, John, and Matthew. 
and he needed to pick another five who would join these seven in ministry. These twelve ordinary men were to be the little Jesuses, doing the same work which he also did after he left, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. In order to do such a sacred work, Jesus prayed all night. Luke chapter 6 verse 12 and 13 tells us, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. This is a lesson showing us that the selection of those to hold sacred responsibilities is not to be a work done haphazardly, but one in which much prayer is to be done. Any mistake here will prove detrimental to the cause of truth. Even as Jesus prayed, Satan was still able to sneak in a Judas among his men. So we must also know that we are not to carelessly select men in offices of sacred responsibility. If Jesus had need to pray all night, how much more need have we who are more sinful and farther from God than Jesus was? Mark chapter 3 verse 13 to 15 now tells us, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve, for what purpose? That they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach. I want us to get this thing very well. Who is a man of God? Who is an apostle? Jesus selected them and we are careful to note here in the book of Luke 6 verse 13 and the book of Luke uh, Mark 3 verse 14. His primary duty given to these people, go out and preach. Verse 15 says, also he gave, he gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Jesus had called his disciples, we read in the book of Desire of Ages, page 291, paragraph 3. Jesus had called his disciples that he might send them forth as his witnesses to declare to the world what they had seen and heard of him. Their office was the most important to which human beings had ever been called and was second only to that of Christ himself. They were to be workers together with God for the saving of the world. As in the Old Testament, the twelve patriarchs stand as representatives of Israel, so the twelve apostles were to stand as representatives of the gospel church." End of quote. It was while Jesus was doing this work that Judas urged himself. When Jesus was praying and selecting, he had prayed and was now selecting disciples, Judas urged himself upon Jesus and the disciples urged Jesus to select him. Like we have already seen in previous devotions. Jesus permitted it. Thus, the position which was to be filled by one of the disciples of Jesus was taken by one who was not worthy to be called an apostle. Jesus then gave a model on how evangelistic ministry is to be done. He paired the disciples in twos. How did he do it? Reading from the Zion of Ages, page 350, says, Calling the twelve about him, Jesus bade them go out two and two through the towns and villages. None were sent forth alone, but brother was associated with brother, friend with friend. Thus they could help and encourage one another. Counseling and praying together, each one's strength supplementing the other's weakness. In the same manner, he afterward sent forth the seventy. It was the Savior's purpose that the messengers of the gospel should be associated in this way. In our own time, evangelistic work 
would be far more successful if this example were more closely followed. End of quote. So it's important that we follow this example of Jesus. He paired them in twos. Look at it here. In the book of Luke 6 verse 14 to 16, we see who the two and two were. They were brothers and friends with each other. Now it says the first one, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. There were two, then James and John, then the other two friends, Philip and Bartholomew, which is Nathaniel. Two of them were together. And then there was Matthew paired with Gesu. Who was Matthew paired with? He was paired with Thomas. Then James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zelotes. That's Simon the Zealot. And then there was Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. The book of Matthew 10, verse 3 and 4, calls uh, Simon the Zealot. He calls him Simon the Canaanite. And then Judas uh, was paired with him. So you see that this Simon the Zealot was paired with Judas Iscariot. While there's another person called Judas. He's also known as Thaddeus or Labeus. He was paired with James, who might probably be his own brother, actually, because Luke records it as if, um, in verse 16, it says, and Judas, the brother of James, because there's another James called the James, the son of Alphaeus. I don't know if that's who his brother is, but like we see, Jesus paired brother with brother, friend with friend. The first seven disciples, they were paired with each other, brother with brother, Peter and his brother, Andrew, James and his brother, John, two friends, Nathaniel and Bartholomew, Matthew needed a partner. And who was the partner Jesus gave to him? He gave him Thomas. And then the other four, Judas with Simon the Zealot. And then we have James and Labeos or Thaddeus. These men were of varied minds and occupations and had their separate individualities. This was necessary for two reasons. One reason is that we all have different individualities and are impressed differently. We all see various and different shades or perspectives of the same thing and will tell the story of the same event or preach the same truth from different angles, thereby reaching the varied minds that exist. For example, someone like Matthew will see the gospel from a different perspective from John because of their separate individualities and therefore their presentation of the same subject will not be alike but yet it will be true but the beauty of it is that the kind of the kinds of people that Matthew will be adapted to will be different from the kind of people that John will be adapted to some words that John will use to explain what he's trying to say may not ring a bell in the hearts of the people like when Matthew does it and when Matthew does it may not ring a bell like it will do when John does it because they are different kinds of people the minds that may be more deeply impressed by John may not be as impressed by Matthew and those who will be more deeply impressed by Matthew will not be as deeply impressed by John reading from mind character and personality volume 2 page 424 paragraph 1 we are told why do we need a matthew a mark a luke a john a paul and all these other writers who have borne their testimony in regards to the life of the savior during his earthly ministry why could not one of the disciples have written a complete record and thus have given us a connected account of christ's life and work the gospels differ yet in them the record blends in one harmonious whole. One writer brings in points that another does not bring in. If these points are essential, why did not all the writers mention them? It is because the minds of men differ and do not comprehend things in exactly the same way.
some truths appeal more strongly to the minds of one class of persons than to others. Some points appear to be much more important to some than to others. The same principle applies to speakers. Some speakers dwell at considerable lengths on points that others will pass by quickly or will not mention at all. Thus, the truth is presented more clearly by several than by one. End of quote. Have you ever read the book of John and compared it to the book of Matthew? Two beautiful books. When you see the stark difference in the same account of, the, of one person, Jesus, you would wonder and see, really these men had different individualities. They tell the same story, but in different ways. You see what impresses John a lot. Go and read the book of John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, even the book of Revelation. You find out that there is one thing John repeats so heavily. So he, he expresses it in different ways. It is love and the commandments of God. For example, John 17 verse 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Then in 1st John 2 verse 3, whosoever says, I know him. Remember he has said, not life eternal is to know Jesus. He then says, Whosoever said, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. It is John who recorded in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. It is him who recorded in John 15, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. It is him who recorded in 1 John 5, verse 3, This is love. Of, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. It is him who recorded that God answers our prayers because we keep his commandments in the book of 1 John 5 verse 14. Actually, the way he put it was that whatsoever we ask of him, he will give to us because we do his will. You see, John was someone who was impressed with the importance of the law of God and how it is connected with the concept of love. And he was so impressed with the connection of love and the law that he kept on repeating it. It is him who said, God is love. It is him who said, perfect love casteth out fear. It is him who talked about the divinity of Jesus. What about Matthew? Matthew is the one just like Mark and Luke, actually, the accounts are almost the same thing. But you see that they were more impressed to write about the teachings of Jesus, which impressed their hearts. The parables. There were some things that Luke recorded that you don't find in John in, and in Matthew also. So that's the reason why God likes that unity that comes in diversity. Reading, Continuing the reading says, It is the Lord's plan that there shall be unity in diversity. There is no man who can be a criterion for all other men. Our varied trusts are proportioned to our varied capabilities. I have been distinctly instructed that God endows men with different degrees of capability and then places them where they can do the work for which they are fitted. Each worker is to give his fellow workers the respect that he wishes to have shown to himself. End of quote. Also in the book, Our High Calling, page 90, paragraph 4, we are told, The Lord does not desire that our individuality shall be destroyed. It is not his purpose that any two persons shall be exactly alike in tastes and dispositions. All have characteristics peculiar to themselves, and these are not to be destroyed, but to be trained, molded, fashioned after the similitude of Christ. The Lord turns the natural aptitudes and capabilities into profitable channels. In the improvement of the faculties God has given, talent and ability are developed. If the human agent will recognize the fact that all his powers 
are an endowment from God to be used not for selfish purposes, but for the glory of God and the good of our fellow men. End of quote. So from there we learn that it is in God's will that we should have our different individualities and develop them and still emphasizing the same lesson that our dispositions and tastes not being alike is in God's is in harmony with God's will so that we can f- complement each other we can supply the lack that is in another person and the gospel can have a harmonious whole by bringing all people together and that's one advantage and I'll continue to read concerning the advantages of this diversity in uh, individualities reading from the book evangelism page 74 paragraph 1 and 2 it says there is need of two working together for one can encourage the other and they can counsel pray and search the bible together in this they may get a broader light upon the truth for one will see one phase and the other another phase of truth if they are erring they can correct one another in speech and attitude so that the truth may not be lightly esteemed because of the defects of its advocates. If the workers are sent out alone, there is no one to see or correct their errors. But when two go together, an educating work may be carried on and each worker become what he should be, a successful soul winner. Let me stop here for now. So you see another advantage of this method of labor going two and two so that each person can correct the other person's defects and that's the reason why they are not necessarily two people who are alike people people of different individualities go together to harmonize and help each other so that the defects in one person's character will not make the truth obnoxious to another person and i even get the benefits of this because i have friends who tell me oh this is how you should do this or say this or do this do that why so that it can help me and i also i also can help them and tell them oh this is how you should do this and do that it is so that we can grow together and now we are urged continuing the reading why is it that we have departed from the method of labor which was instituted by the great teacher why is it that the laborers in his cause today are not sent forth two and two? Oh, you say we have not laborers enough to occupy the field then occupy less territory. Send forth the laborers into the places where the, the way seems to be opened and teach the precious truth for this time. Can we not see the wisdom of having to go together to preach the gospel? End of quote. So God wants us to also follow this plan that Jesus followed, this manner of labor, of seeing the wisdom of taking people to and to. And there's one lesson that we should learn that from here, what I just read occupy less territory occupy less territory where should you go to go to places where the way seems to be opened not where the way is closed go to places where the way is opened and preach the truth jesus went to the land of samaria at the time and they did not receive him and he left he went to a place where he knows the way was opened not to places where the way is not opened a reminder of what we read earlier in conflict and courage page 28 paragraph 3 said of the 12 disciples four were to act a leading part each in a distinct line and we know who those people are peter james john and judas there's a lesson here for us with respect to these four who were more prominent than the other eight disciples. It is a lesson of contentment. 
My mind goes back to the days when we studied about Korah, Datan, and Abiram, who wanted to be in the inner carcass of the Lord's councils, and also to Miriam and Aaron, who wanted to be on par with Moses, and would not accept the fact that God had exalted Moses to be his special messenger above all other people in Israel. Jesus drew closer to himself, Peter, James, and John, for reasons best known to him. But if you were among the other disciples, how would you feel? Jesus, when going to be transfigured, took only these three men. Matthew 17 verse 1 and 2 says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. In the book of John 13, reading from verse 21, it says, When Jesus had thus said that he said that one of his disciples was going to betray him, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus, not everybody, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that's John the Beloved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, to the son of Simon. Only John got this answer. Only John was laying on Jesus' bosom, not even Peter. Also, when Jesus was going to pray just after Judas had gone to betray him, it was only three that he took along with him to get Semani. Matthew 26, verse 36 and 37. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So how many of them were here? Eleven of them. Judas has gone. And he told them, Sit here. And in their presence, it says, He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Now, after this, when he was taken to Caiaphas' judgment hall, it was only Peter and John who was with him there. It wasn't Jesus who took them anyway, but we see that these two men were close to Jesus. Would you have felt jealous? Let us face it, some of us will wish we were among those three who were in the inner carcass of Jesus. You feel jealous when you see John the Beloved being the one that was always sitting at the right side of Jesus always his right hand man John the Beloved he's the one lying at the bosom of Jesus even when Jesus had resurrected and he was speaking to Peter in the book of John and I think maybe 21 John 20 and he was telling John telling Peter lovers down me and all of that John was there following and listening to the discussion and Peter was worried and said what of this man that is following us And, and Jesus said to Peter what is it? How is that? In other words, how is that your business? How does that concern you? If I want him to live forever, then don't, it's not your business. Listen to me. We need to be careful lest we allow jealousy in us. Let us face it. Some of us will wish we were among those three. If the disciples permitted jealous feelings to take over them, especially that day in Gethsemane where he literally told the other seven, sit here. And then he left with only three of them. Why is it that the other seven did not revolt? Like, why is he showing favoritism to these other three disciples, Peter, James, and John? Why is he doing that? Well, they didn't because they had the mind of Christ. Let us learn to be content with as much as Jesus chooses to do with us. Let us rejoice for our brethren who are also doing the work and not being in a competition with anyone. This is the spirit of Jesus.
we see that there were four disciples who were less prominent, although one was prominent for wickedness, that is Judas. The other four, Labaios, Simon the Zealot, and then there was uh, the other man called James. These ones, what do we know about them? Not so much. Thomas, what do we know about him? Not so much. But yet, they were content to do the work that God gave to them. We should learn to be content. We should learn to fill the place that the Lord gives us. And our focus for this devotion is unity in diversity. Let us preserve our individuality and let us, through our individuality, give the gospel a harmonious, harmonious whole. Reach out to those whom we can reach out to. When our brethren can't reach out to another person, you may be more favored to do it then go ahead and do it. We are not to be in any competition and say, oh, you don't know how to do it like me or I don't know how to do it like you and all of that. No. Each person has an individuality that as we work on ourselves to become better and better, we will give the gospel a better chance of reaching the hearts of others. There must be that unity in diversity and like Jesus prayed for it, we also should pray that we all may be one so that we can be one as far as the Father and the Son is one and we may be one with them. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the beauty of this unity in diversity. I pray, Lord, that you help us to preserve our individuality, that we all may give the gospel a setting sound in the minds of the people whom we can reach. Help us to continue to develop ourselves, to become better and better representatives of Jesus. And help us, Lord, to not have a spirit of competition, but that we may do the work of God faithfully and well, helping one another in wherever we have defects, growing in grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Shall come, shall come. Bring in yellow, black and white shall join to 